Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Copeland, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, joined by my new friend, Joe Allen, who I learned that you're not Jason Allen. I may have accidentally emailed your boss, the, the president of the institution, here we are, at the For the Church Conference at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Good to have you on, Joe. Glad to be here. And from what I understand from your time on the field, there was even a little bit of overlap and interaction with ABWE people as well, right? Quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, when when I was in language school, we did uh, our study at a ABWE language institute. And so we got to know the personnel there, and they just loved on us. And now I get the opportunity and privilege to teach 16 students here at Midwestern the Bengali language. And that's all because of the investment ABWE personnel made in my life. Also, there's a hospital yes. in the south part of the country there that uh, the doctors saved my wife's life on two different occasions. Wow. And so we are very grateful and thank the world for them. Praise God. And yeah. it's amazing what God's done in that part of the world which is not a part of the world where you would think that too many Christian workers would be able to have a presence, and yet God has opened doors and incredible things are happening there as well. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing here, your background. You're Assistant Professor of Missions here at Midwestern. Is that right? That's right. I've been here less than two years. Okay. Delighted to be here, uh, but I served 14 years with the International Mission Board in South Asia. We, we served the majority of our time in a rural Muslim context, and then the last term we were in a urban Hindu context, and so I had experience in both those places, loved the ministry, had some great national partners, really missed the work, but I feel the Lord brought us here so we can multiply workers for the nations. Yeah, and have you seen that so far? Have you seen students go out? Maybe not from your class specifically yet, or just across the board as well. Well, I have, even from my own class, Praise God. and that has been one of the greatest joys that I've experienced. After class, one day last semester, a student came up and he said, before taking this class, I, um, I never really considered missions, but having taken your class, I can't not consider missions. So it's just such a joy. Amen. Amen. That's a joy and a privilege. Well, you've done some writing and some thinking about ministering to Muslims. Obviously, that was a little bit of your background, your expertise. You did your dissertation writing on that. Tell us what that was about. Kevin Van Hooser has a quote that says, the gospel is unintelligible apart from the doctrine of the Trinity. And if that's the case, then how can we communicate the doctrine of the Trinity uh, in a way, in, in a context where it really puts up barriers? It's, it's difficult for Muslims to get their mind around that. It's really um, the unforgivable sin yeah. to confess belief in the triune God. So there's a lot of debate about how much understanding Muhammad himself actually had right. about the Trinity, um, whether he was rejecting a heretical form or the actual orthodox doctrine of the Trinity. It doesn't really matter. They reject right. the doctrine of the Trinity either right. way. Um, and so one of the things that I, I studied is how the doctrine of the Trinity um, is what gives us categories like fatherhood and sonship. When we communicate the gospel, we can really uh, dig into those areas and show that 
there is no such thing as adoption uh, without the doctrine of the Trinity. Soteriological adoption is grounded in the doctrine of the Trinity. And yeah. Muslims don't get to enjoy yeah. calling Allah Father. They don't. They don't. They don't conceptualize their relationship with Allah as relating sons to a father. Instead, they consider themselves slaves relating to a master. Yes. And so what a joy and a privilege to communicate, no, God in his infinite love, because he is triune, sent the eternal son for you. And through union with the eternal son, you can become an adopted son. Yeah. And then through union with Jesus, we get to call God Father. And that is such a privilege, and, and Muslims just don't have access to that. Well, frankly, even a lot of evangelicals in the United States don't understand the doctrine of adoption. We, if In the best case scenario, we'll talk about justification, we'll talk about sanctification, maybe glorification. We tend to skip over adoption, the fact that not only is it God's purpose that your sins are forgiven, He's forgiving your sins so that you can be brought into the family, so that you can have fellowship with God. So if Christians here in the U.S. and throughout the West are missing that, then how much more so are we unlikely to be communicating that out cross-culturally in the places where we send missionaries? Exactly. And because we are adopted, we have access to the Father, we have all the rights and privileges of sons, we get an inheritance, co-inheritors with Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, um, on and on the list goes, and is such a rich treasure trove of blessing for Christians, um, and, and it's something we can offer freely in the gospel. Yeah. Now, you focus on Muslims. My understanding is that in maybe more classical Islamic, uh, Arabic cultures, Sunni, Orthodox um, contexts, that adoption from a legal standpoint and socially, culturally isn't really a thing. Is that the case in South Asia where you served? It absolutely is. Yeah. In fact, uh, the Quran itself forbids adoption in chapter 33. And the history of that's really interesting because Muhammad was orphaned as a boy. Right. Uh, and you would expect him to be very friendly toward adoption. Well, he um, was unable to sire male offspring that survived past childhood. So he only had daughters that lived into adulthood. His first wife, Khadija, um, wanted to offer him a gift. And so she gave him uh, a, a slave that uh, Muhammad really loved. And this boy's name was, uh, was Zayed. And, and Muhammad loved Zayed so much that he decided to formally adopt him. And so Zayed became Zayed bin Muhammad, son of Muhammad. Well, he arranged for his marriage to a woman named Zainab. They had a very tumultuous relationship. Their marriage was unhappy. One day, Muhammad went to visit his adopted son. He was not at home, but his daughter-in-law was. And as the story goes, um, the, uh, the wind blew the curtain aside, and he saw his daughter-in-law partially unclothed. This filled him with lust, and he went home. He was taking a nap uh, on, the, on the lap of another one of his wives, Aisha, 
when he got revelation from Allah. Conveniently. Conveniently. As Aisha herself admitted, this was a rather convenient revelation. And, uh, and that's when the 33rd portion of the Quran was revealed to him when adoption is forbidden. And so he was able to disinherit his son, uh, declare that this, this boy was never truly his son, and he had full rights and privileges to marry Zainab. And so that's sort of the historical background um, to why adoption is forbidden. But even it goes deeper, even theologically, you cannot have an adopting God apart from a Trinitarian God. Right. So there's that dimension too. Yeah. It's, it's gut-wrenching to hear that history and that the oral tradition in such a way that you also, you see how it kind of affects the Islamic culture and psyche even to this day. So as you're sharing that message of Christian adoption, is it falling on deaf ears? I mean, you're saying, well, hey, God adopts us. And they're like, adoption, what's that? I mean, do you get quizzical reactions like that? Absolutely. But the, um, the, the best missionary in any language is the Word of God. And yeah. so sometimes simply opening the Bible and having them read a portion of Scripture. One time I was sitting in a park with a young man, a college student, and I had been sharing the gospel with him for many weeks at this point, and it had not broken through to his heart. So I, I had him open his Bible, um, Bengali Bible, to Luke chapter 15, and ask him just to read the story of the prodigal son. I didn't make comments on it, no exposition, no exegesis. I just had him read it. By the time he finished reading it, he was weeping. He was sobbing. And he looked at me and through his tears, he said, if I did that to my father, he would never accept me back. And so simply exalting the picture of God that we have in the Bible, it stands in such stark contrast to what they have and what they believe. They find it very appealing. They, the number one reason Muslims don't come to faith in Christ, they don't hear the gospel. Yeah. The more they hear it, the more come to faith in Christ. Yeah. What about some of the other typical Muslim objectives to the gospel? Uh, the, the Surah 112, right? God neither begets nor is begotten. I mean, simple ideas there that are barriers to the idea of God having a son. Obviously, what we mean by divine sonship is not identical to what Islam means by sonship or what any of us would mean by human sonship in general. Yes, so what they are often rejecting is a caricature or a misrepresentation of yeah. what we actually believe. So when they hear Trinity, oftentimes Muslims picture God the Father, Mary, God the Mother, which they get from church history, Theotokos, yeah, the mother of God, and then Jesus being their offspring from a sexual union. Well, of course, that's not what we believe at all. Um, and so a big part of the evangelist's job is to simply clarify and state what the gospel actually is and who God actually is. Um, I was sitting in a cafe. It's 100 degrees outside and we're sipping hot tea. Of course. I'm sweating like a pig and my, my friend is, he's just fine. <laughs> uh, flies buzzing all around and, and he's, he had been coming to our little house church. And he, he said, I, I love your house church. It's so diverse. We had 
uh, wealthy people, we had poor people, we had Hindu background, we had Muslim background, we had traditional background, we had American, Scottish, and Brazilians, so very diverse in our, our house church. Mm. And we would take the Lord's Supper um, every, every other week, and we would not allow him to participate because he had not made a profession of faith in Christ or been baptized. So he was sitting with me in this cafe, and, uh, and he said, I really love Jesus. I've been reading the Bible. He's, he had read Mark, and he was well into his way in Luke, through yeah. Luke. And he said, but I just can't believe in three gods. And I sat back I've got in my good chair. news for you. That's right. <laughs> I sat back in my me chair. Neither. I said, Rumel, where did you get the idea that we believe in three gods? Well, the Quran says, say not three, right? It does say that. And he responded, he said, well, that's what my imam has always taught me. Isn't that true? Isn't that what you believe? And I was able to say, no, we believe in one true God who eternally exists as the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then I pointed him to an egg. I didn't. Uh, Just kidding. It's good. God is not like anything in the cabinet. He's not like anything in the refrigerator. <laughs> He's the creator. I did draw the shield of the Trinity diagram. We'll allow it. <laughs> it, it it's uh, one of the... Uh, it was actually developed by a Jewish background Spaniard living under uh, Muslim-occupied Spain. He became a believer, and he's the one. He's one of the first ones we know of in history to uh, come up with the shield of the Trinity diagram, which simply says that, there, that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the Father. Yeah. And then Rumel sat back in his chair, and he said, now I see that you don't believe in three gods. I'm ready to follow Christ. Wow. So it was actually the doctrine of the Trinity that was a genuine objection, not just a smokescreen, as it often is, yeah. but a genuine objection. And once he had his theological questions answered, he was ready to put his faith in Christ. Wow, it's incredible. Of course, all of that assumes that the missionaries that we send to the field have a solid understanding of the triune nature of God. Amen. Regardless. And that's not always the case, unfortunately. We need to train well in that area, even though we train well in other more practical areas, too. We've got to know who God is. We had a good conversation about that earlier. But anyway, what excites you, uh, not only within Midwestern and what you're seeing and what you're trying to accomplish as far as an influence towards missions, what excites you in the world? What excites you? as you look across the Islamic world, back in the country in which you served as well, and, and how is God at work? What are some of the things that you see brewing? There are an increasing number of doctrinally sound missionaries willing to suffer. And that willingness to suffer uh, communicates in a way that um, just, you know, vacationaries they don't have the same impact. Yeah. People that are just riding the gravy train, uh, and, th and thankfully those are becoming more and more, uh, fewer and far between. Wish, wish there was none like that, but there are. There are some like that as well. And obviously those that are coming out of Midwestern aren't vacationaries. They <laughs> love the church. They love the Bible. They do. So how can people get a hold of you? How can they read some of what you've written and maybe interact with, with the ideas more? Or if there's other things that you would point them to reading, maybe primary sources. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, your your listeners may not know that I've written a series of children's books called okay. Big Thoughts for Little Thinkers. Yes. These are a series of kids' books. They've actually been translated into Bengali. Mm. Um, and there's four books in that series, The Trinity, Four Kids, The Gospel, The Mission, and The Scripture. And, uh, and they're at a, a first grade reading level. Um, Wonderful. But then uh, I, I'd love to talk to anyone else who's interested in studying missions. Uh, here at Midwestern, we have a very personalized approach, a cohort program, so it's very, uh, uh, very personalized. And, uh, and you can get a 36-hour Master of Arts in Intercultural Studies uh, in one year, and it also includes an overseas practicum. Okay. Now, I'm hoping that everyone from ABWE's South Asia team is listening to about some of those children's books as well. Those would be great things to have in the course of ministry. Anyway, Joe, we're so glad you could join us today. Appreciate you being here. I appreciate your ministry at Midwestern. Thank you. We love our friends at Midwestern. We're glad to be here at For the Church. And if you want more content and if you want to listen back to any of the other interviews that we've done, go to missionspodcast.com. And remember, the Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To learn more about ABWE, visit abwe.org. Before you leave, remember to share this share the show, subscribe, do all those fun things that helps other people discover this content. Until our next show, thanks for watching and thank you for listening.